0: Hi, everybody, Carla here, and thanks for tuning in for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Let's continue on with Mr. Ernest J. Gaines, A Gathering of Old Men. We're at Chapter 17, and this one is called Snook'em. They were shooting everywhere. Soon as the sheriff went down, they started shooting. Shooting out the front door, shooting out the window, shooting up in the ceiling, shooting everywhere. Just hollering and shooting. I told myself, boy, you better get out of here. Grandma had Toddy and Minnie by the hands and hollered for me to stop. But I told myself, no, indeed, I'm getting out of here while the getting is good. And I shot out through the kitchen and went under the house. Then I started crawling toward the front. I didn't stop till I had reached the front steps. Now... I could see the sheriff old mapes sitting out there on the walk trying to get up, rocking this way, that way, like one of them big old scoiling kettles, trying his best to get up, but he was too big to make it by himself, and I sure wasn't going out there to help him. The people were still shooting and hollering. I could hear them in the house over my head, shooting and hollering. I could hear Grandma calling me, Reverend Jameson calling the Lord, the rest of them just shooting and hollering. Then I saw Lou crawling fast on the other side of the house. He was crawling on his knees and his elbows, crawling fast. Then something made him stop, and he looked under the house at me. It was dark under there, and it took him a good while to make me out. Snookum, that's you under there? Yes, sir. Don't you hear your grandma? Yes, sir. Get to the back, he said. I didn't answer him. I wasn't going back there either. Grandma wasn't going to beat me for not answering her the first time. Stay down, Lou said, and started crawling again. He was carrying a pistol. He crawled over to where Mapes was sitting on the walk, rocking, rocking, trying to get up. You all right? He asked him. "'Sure,' Mapes said. "'I'm just sitting here for the view.' "'Your deputy resigned,' Lou said, showing Mapes the pistol. "'Keep it,' Mapes said. "'Anybody else got hurt?' "'I don't think so.' "'Mapes tried to get up again, but he was too big.' "'You need help?' Lou asked him. "'More than you can give,' Mapes said. "'You're in charge. Raise your right hand. "'Do you swear like hell?' Lou said. "'You're still in charge.' MAPE said. Now, don't bother me anymore tonight. What am I supposed to do? Lou asked him. You figure that out, MAPE said. Just leave me alone. That'll do it for Chapter 16. And let's move on with Chapter 17. This one is called Horace Thompson, a.k.a. Sharp. Leroy got winged. It wasn't bad, no more than a scratch, but he was over there sniveling like a gut-hanging dog. Luke told him to shut up. We all told him to shut up, but he went on sniveling, sniveling like some kind of gut-hanging dog. I'm dying, he said. I'm dying. Y'all don't even care. If you don't shut up, you will be dying, Henry told him. Big killer you turned out to be. Y'all didn't say they had all them guns, he said. No shit, Henry said. I'm dying, he said. Shut him up, Luke whispered. Shut him up. Shut up. Henry whispered viciously. Then I heard a slap. Shut the fuck up. Now he really started his sniveling. I'm gonna give myself up. I'm gonna give myself up. You walk out there and I'll blow your back off, Henry said. You're in it, fucker. You gonna stay here till the end. Mapes, Leroy called. Mapes, shut up, Henry said and hit him in the mouth. No, he said, crying. Mapes he called what Mapes answered from the yard we couldn't see him only hear him from his voice he sounded weak Luke hadn't intended to kill him when he shot him only to stop him what you want he called back this here is Leroy Leroy Hall I ain't nothing but a child Mapes that's too bad Mapes called back I'm a white boy Mapes Leroy called that's too bad too Mapes said Satisfied now, fucker," Henry said. He got crazy with the sniveling. Now he was all bent over with his sniveling, just coughing and spitting. If the niggers don't know where we were, if the niggers didn't know where we were before, they sure know knew where we were now. Luke inched a little bit from behind the back tire of the tractor out into the road. He looked up the quarters, down the quarters, then moved back. Seen anything? I asked him. How can you see a nigger at night? he said to me. Hey, Mapes, he called. What you want, Luke Will? Mapes called back. Got a boy hurt pretty bad. I want him to get out of here. Go on and take him out, Mapes said. Them niggers will shoot us. Shoot them back, Mapes said. Shoot them like you shot me. One of them niggers shot you. We didn't shoot you. I have witnesses you did it apes called. He rested a second before he went on. And you're going to pay for it, every last one of you. He rested again. If you get out here alive, he want them niggas to kill us. Leroy started sniveling again. He want them niggas to kill us all. And I told you to shut up, Luke said and swung around and kicked him. He kicked him again and again. I told you to shut up, to shut up, to shut up. He said, kicking. Henry, Alcy, and I grabbed Luke and held him down while Leroy crawled out of the way. Take it easy, Luke, I said. I had him by the shoulders. Take it easy. Take it easy. He was breathing hard. He had tired himself out kicking Leroy, but he had enough strength to raise his arm and knock the hell out of me. Any other time, he would have had a fight on his hands, but I knew what was bothering him now. He had brought us here, and now everything had backfired, and he didn't know how to get out of it. Leroy was laying over there in the ditch, balled up on his elbows and knees. Nobody paid him any mind. Luke moved up against the tire again. Mapes, he called. I'm out of bullets. You gonna let them niggers shoot us down like dogs? Mapes didn't answer him, but Charlie did. From down the quarters, you could hear him, but you couldn't see the black ape. I got some extra shells, he called to Luke. How many you need? Luke will. Send one of your boys to come and get him. I wonder what them niggers been drinking to make them all so brave, I said to Luke. Luke moved around the tire and looked down the quarters. Then he moved back against the tire again. They all over the place, Luke, I said. Ain't no way we can get out of this. You backing out too, he asked. No, I said. I knew him too well. He could be mean when he wanted to, mean toward anybody. He looked at me a while. Then he looked at Elsie and Henry under from under the trailer. "'Y'all boys all had enough, huh?' he asked. "'Is that it?' "'We had enough, but nobody would dare say it. "'I hope y'all know Clyde's going to take—' "'I hope y'all know how Clyde's going to take this,' Luke said, "'and moved back against the tire. "'Say, Mapes?' He called toward the house. Call them niggers off. We ready to turn ourselves in. Mapes didn't answer him. Mapes, can you hear me? Luke called again. I can hear you, Mapes said. He sounded weaker than he did before. Talk to Dimes. He's in charge. Hey, Dimes, Luke called. I can hear you, Luke, will. Dimes called back. Then a second later, we heard him say, Hey, Charlie, Mr. Biggs. That's all right. You can call me Charlie. Charlie answered from down the quarters. We in all the dirt now and ain't no more mister and ain't no more miss and ain't no deal. They gonna put me in that electric chair for one. Might as well put me in there for two. No deal. That nigger sounds like he means it, I told Luke. Behind us, in the ditch, Leroy went on with the sniveling. Henry and Al C, lying under the front trailer, looked over at him. Then he looked at me, and he, with a look I had never seen before. Luke was bigger and stronger than anybody around him, never had to back down to anything. But now, he looked worried, real worried. If you make it and I don't, look after Verna and the kids, he said to me. What? I said because I didn't expect to hear that. How many shells you got left, he asked. Couple, I said. We can make a run for it. Make T-Jack swear he never left there. Make T-J swear we never left there tonight. What about him, Luke said, nodding toward Leroy. Fuck him, I said. Nobody told him to get shot. I could hear him sniveling behind me. Give me your shells, Luke said. Then I won't have any. Take his, he can't use them. I passed him the two shells I had, and he put them into the gun. Luke said, Luke, I said, we can still get out of this. Don't do not do nothing foolish. Verna and the kids, if I don't make it, he said. Mapes won't let them niggers shoot us down like dogs. He grinned to himself. Then he looked at me a long time, shaking his head. Mapes ain't in charge no more, Sharp, he said. Charlie is. We got to deal with Charlie now. You ready to deal with Charlie? Sharp, I wasn't ready to deal with any Charlie, and he knew it. He moved back against the tire and looked down the quarters where Charlie was waiting. And that'll do it for segment chapter eight, chapter 17. Let's continue with chapter 18. And this one is called Antoine Christophe, a.k.a. Dirty Red. Charlie was up in the ditch. I was right behind him. Yank and Tucker and Chimley was over to the right. I think Clabber was somewhere back there, too. I crawled up even with Charlie and laid there beside him. He was like a big bear laying there. Let me a stub, dirty," he said. I had a couple in my pocket, and I got one out and lit it. I handed it to him, and he took a couple of good draws and handed it back to me. Charlie, Lou called from Matthew's yard. What you want? Charlie answered. "'Let them turn themselves in, Charlie.' "'No, sir,' Charlie called back. "'It'll be murder now, Charlie,' Lou said. "'It was murder before,' Charlie said. "'No, Charlie,' Lou called. "'With Beau, it was self-defense. Candy will swear to that.' Charlie didn't answer him. He reached for the cigarette, and I handed it to him. He turned his head to draw on it so the people up the quarters couldn't see the light. "'Charlie?' Lou called again. I ain't going nowhere, Charlie answered him. I got your Perrine here, Charlie, Lou said. He wants to come out there and talk to you. I don't want parrain out here, Charlie said. Perrine told me to stand. I'm standing up to Luke Will. It was quiet after that, pitch black and quiet. Charlie laid there like a big old bear, and I was right there beside him. You scared dirty, he asked me. "'Not here side you, Charlie.' "'Don't never be scared no more, Dirty,' he told me. "'Life's so sweet when you know you ain't no more coward.' "'I nodded my head, but I wanted some more. "'Charlie,' I said. "'He was looking up the quarters toward the tractor. "'Charlie?' I said again. "'Yeah, Dirty,' he said, still looking up the quarters. "'What you've seen back there, Charlie?' He didn't answer me, just laying there like a big bear with that double barrel shotgun across his arm. Charlie, what you seen in them swamps? I asked him again. You seen it too, dirty, he said, not looking at me. I didn't see nothing, Charlie. What What did you see? I asked him. All of y'all seen it, he said. "'No, I I didn't see nothing,' I said. "'I'm just here, Charlie. "'Like all the rest, I didn't see nothing.' "'He looked back at me. "'You got it, Dirty,' he said. "'You already got it, partner.' "'Got what, Charlie?' "'He grinned at me. "'Light me another stub, Dirty.' "'I fished in my pocket for another one and took it out. "'While I was lighting it, "'I heard Lou calling from Matthew's yard. "'I'm coming out there, Charlie.' he said. You not getting my gun, Charlie called back. Go take Luke Will's gun. Luke Will, I'm coming out there, Luke called. You ain't taking this gun, Luke Will called back to him. It was quiet a little while. Charlie was smoking the cigarette, smoking it hard like he had to hurry up and finish with it. Then I saw him getting up. I whispered to him to get back down, but he kept on getting up. I heard Lou hollering to him to stay down, but Charlie wasn't listening to anybody. He was headed straight toward that tractor, and he hadn't made more than two, three, maybe four steps when I heard the first shot. I saw him staggering, but he didn't go down. I saw him shooting, but not sighting. I saw Lou out there waving his hands, telling everybody to stop, stop, stop. He was running all over the place saying, stop, stop, stop. I saw Charlie still going toward that tractor, but he wasn't shooting now, just falling slowly, slowly, slowly till he had hit the ground. Then you had nothing but shooting from then on. I was shooting and it sounded like everybody in the world was shooting. It went on like that for about a minute. Then it was quiet, quieter than you ever heard it in your life. Then we all gathered out in the road Over by the tractor, I saw Lou standing over somebody laying back against one of the tractor wheels. I heard somebody saying that we had got that son of a bitch. But we had all gathered around Charlie. Matthew had knelt down beside him and raised his head out of the dust. They had really got him right in the belly. He laid there like a big old bear looking up at us. He was trying to say something, but it never came out. He kept on looking at us, but after a while you could tell he wasn't seeing us no more. I leaned over and touched him, hoping that some of that stuff he had found back there in them swamps might rub off on me. After I touched him, the rest of the men did the same. Then the women, even Candy. Then Glow told her grandchildren they must touch him, too. And that'll do it for segment 18 of A Gathering of Old Men. Let's continue with the final perspective from Lou Dimes. There were three funerals two days later. Beau and Luke Will were buried in Bayonne. Charlie was buried at Marshall. The trial took place the following week, lasting three days. Candy hired her own lawyer, Clinton, to defend the blacks. The clans defended Luke Wills, friends, and you've never seen a sadder bunch of killers in all your life on either side. Everybody had something wrong with them. Scratches, bruises, cuts, gashes. They had cut themselves on barbed wire, tin cans, broken bottles, you name it. Some had sprained their ankles jumping over ditches. Others had sprained their wrists falling down on the ground, and some had just run into each other. Everybody was either limping, his arm in a sling, or there was a bandage round his head or some other part of his body. Out of all that, only one had been shot, Leroy. They had all taken baths and wore their best clothes. For three days, if you sat close enough to the front, you smelled nothing but Lifebuoy soap and mothballs. The courthouse was packed every day, about an equal number of blacks and whites, with nearly half of people being from the news media. They had come from all over the South. Even the national press was represented. Fix was there with his crowd, including Gil, who sat with the family. By the way, LSU beat Ole Miss 21 to 13. Both Gil and Cal had over 100 yards each. The Klans and the Nazi Party were there to lend moral support to Luke Will's friends. The NAACP was there. Some black militants were there, and so were the state troopers who stood by, watching all and searching most of those who went in. Judge For- Judge Ford Reynolds presided. Judge Reynolds is 70, hair white as snow, face perpetually red from drinking, and he looks like the archetypical grandfather or what you would want your grandfather to look like. He is very rich, always happy, vain about his good looks, and has a great sense of humor. And he admitted from the beginning that not only had he never presided over a case quite like this one, but that he had never even heard of one like this in all his 35 years on the bench." He warned that the trial would be conducted orderly, and he further warned the court that they should not mistake that old white-headed man on the bench for a a softy, because he could be as hard as anyone else, and harder if need be. "'All right,' he said. "'Swear in your first witness. Let's get started.' As I said, the trial went on for three days, and it was orderly most of the time, but every now and then, one of the old black fellows, arm in sling or forehead bandaged, knowing he was in the public eye, would go just a little overboard describing what had happened. Besides, he could use all nicknames for his compatriots, Clabber, Dirty Red, Coot. Chimley Rooster. This would bring the court to laughing, especially the newspeople who took the whole thing as something astonishing but not serious. No one else laughed nearly as much as the newspeople did. That is, until Mapes took the stand a second time to explain exactly where he was during the shooting. Before, he had told the court that he was somewhere in the yard. But now the DA wanted to know exactly where in the yard. Mapes refused to answer. Judge Reynolds cautioned that if he did that if he did not answer, he would be charged with negligence of duty, seeing that two men had been killed. Mapes answered, but only for the D.A. to hear. The DA demanded that he speak loud enough so that the entire court could hear him. Mapes, look, Mapes looked at the DA with those hard gray eyes as if he were about to spring out of that chair and punch him, but instead said "'The whole fight, I was sitting on my ass in the middle of the walk. "'Luke Will shot me, and I was sitting on my ass in the middle of the walk. "'Now, is that loud enough?' And he got up from the witness chair and returned to the other seat. That's when everyone in the courtroom started laughing, including Judge Reynolds. The people passing by out on the street must have thought we were showing a Charlie Chaplin movie in there. That happened the morning of the third day, and until that evening when the trial finally ended— people were still laughing mapes with his left arm in a sling stayed red all day and would probably stay red for years to come the jury deliberated 3 hours then returned with the verdict after reading it and studying it for a moment the judge told all defendants to rise black and white alike he had he said since the two men who had killed were both dead "'Being the same two who had killed Bo and shot Mapes, "'he could not pass judgment over them, "'but asked that their souls rest in peace.' But for the others, he said he was putting all of them on probation for the next five years or until their deaths, whichever came first. He said that meant he was taking away their privilege of carrying any kind of firearm, rifle, shotgun, or pistol, or being within 10 feet of anyone else with such weapons. That was like telling a Louisianian never to say Mardi Gras or Huey Long. He said if he heard that one of any of the defendants picked up a gun or was within 10 feet of anyone with such weapon, he would send that person to prison for the rest of his natural-born life. He asked if there were any questions. There were no questions, and he slammed down the gavel and said court was adjourned. Candy and I went out of the courtroom and stood out on the steps and watched the people leave. She asked Matthew if he wanted her to take him back home. He told her no, but he told her Clatou was there in the truck, and he would go back with Clatou and the rest of the people. The old truck was parked in front of the courthouse, and we watched them all pile in. Candy waved goodbye to them. I felt her other hand against me, searching for my hand. Then I felt her squeezing my fingers." And that brings us to a conclusion of Ernest J. Gaines' A Gathering of Old Men. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. I appreciate it every time you tune in. Until next time.